Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's kind of an inside joke among pastors that Pentecost is the toughest week of the year for your volunteer lectors. Now, that's why I just did it for you guys here today. No. It's the toughest week of the year because that reading from Pentecost, uh, the Acts 2 reading, has all of those names of those places, those places that you haven't even heard of. Some of them don't even exist anymore. I mean, they still exist, but the name is not the same anymore. You've got Pamphylia and Phrygia and the Cretans and the Arabians and on and on it goes. You ever wonder why Luke includes all of that? Why does he suddenly turn his message into like a gazetteer, one of those things you have with all of the, the place names in them? What is the point of him mentioning all of these different specific places from every nation under heaven, he says. It's not just to trip up your readers in worship. There's something more going on here. Now when it comes to Pentecost, we talked about last year, if you were with us in worship, we talked about how uh, part of the significance of what happens there at Pentecost is that it's a reversal of the curse of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel, when the people were all speaking one language, they had the same words, and they came together and they said, let's build a tower all the way up to heaven, with the implication that we can climb up there and somehow dethrone God. And God scattered and changed all of their languages, and they were sent all over the face of the earth. But what happens at Pentecost is that that curse of Babel gets reversed. And now they're able to hear in their, within their ears their own language, the wondrous works of God. That's part of what's going on here at Pentecost, is that it's a reversal of the curse of Babel. But there's more going on as well. And what I want to talk about tonight may be even more profound. I know for sure that it's more pertinent to what we might be feeling and experiencing today. But to do that, we need to go back and back further still into the Old Testament and recover some of that familiar history of the Israelites, of the people of God, so that then we can come back to Pentecost and that reading and see what all is happening there, and why is it that Luke includes all of those funny place names? So let's go back. Once upon a time, the people of God, the Israelites, were living in the promised land. The land that God had promised to them and to their forebears that they were going to live in, in what we would now call Israel, in that area, specifically in Jerusalem, in Zion. This was the land that was flowing with milk and honey. This was the place of promise that they had looked forward to and longed for, where they would be finally home. And God said to his people, you can live in this place in perpetuity with just one condition, that you have no other gods, that you fear, love, and trust in me above all other gods. That was the condition. And God had laid out for them, in fact, from very early on, what the consequence would be if they didn't keep that one condition to have no other gods. The consequence would be, would be that they would be scattered to the outmost parts of heaven. That they would be driven out of that place of home, of refuge, and instead be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Well, if you know the story, you know that that's exactly what happened. First, and this is in about the year 722 
the Assyrian army came and led the Israelites, the northern tribes, into captivity, took them away from their home, dispersed them over the face of the earth, just like God had threatened would happen, because they refused to repent, to believe in him. They kept pressing into that idolatry, and so God said, okay, you forced my hand. After hundreds of years of God sending his prophets, giving them warning, giving them ample opportunity to repent, they wouldn't do it. And so the Assyrian army came and led the northern tribes away. And then about 150 years later, the Babylonian army, ironically enough, before they had built that place of Babel, then it was the Babylonian army that came, destroyed Jerusalem, raised the temple, and led the people away into exile. Brought them away from their home and dispersed them. If you've ever heard the term diaspora, this is where it comes from. They were dispersed all over the face of the earth. They had lost their home. This is one piece of the puzzle. When we come to Pentecost, let's see what looks up to. That exile, that the people of God had been made captives and spread to the outmost parts of the earth. But there's another even bigger and more profound piece. And to get at what that might be, we've got to ask ourselves a question. When you think about all of the possible consequences, all of the judgments that God could render on his people for their disobedience, for their breaking faith with him, you think about it, there's all kinds of options for God there, right? We see many of them throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes he could just do the old-fashioned smite them on the spot. Right? Throw down a lightning bolt. Boom. Other times, my favorite one, my personal favorite, he'll just open up the earth and swallow them down into the heart of the earth. God has a lot of options for the kinds of consequences that he can render on his people. But when it came to this, he chose exile, captivity, being dispersed. Why would that be? Well, think about another story from the Old Testament, even more familiar. When once upon a time, a couple of other people lived in the original promised land. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. And there too, God had said, there's going to be one condition here, guys. Don't take the fruit, right? But behind that, it wasn't just about the fruit. You guys know that. It wasn't just about that. It was about trusting in him, believing in him, not listening to any lies or temptations that say, hey, you shall be like God, but instead trusting in him, leaning on him for every good thing. That was the one condition. And you guys know the story that it didn't work out that way. But usually when we tell the story, we stop it there. Say, okay, yes, this was the entry of sin into the world, which it was. But do you remember? Do you remember what the immediate consequence was? for Adam and Eve? What happened to them is, as soon as they had broken faith with God and violated that, that covenant promise with him? Exile. He sent his flaming angel with a flaming sword to drive Adam and Eve out of paradise. They were led away, expelled from that perfect home where they were able to dwell with God where their hearts were at rest and at peace with him, where God was able to even dwell among them in some mystical way that we can't wrap around and talk with them. You know, many of you love that old song, In the Garden, right? This was the original, In the Garden. God was in the garden, walking, talking with his people. It was very good. It was just what they had been created for, that kind of communion and profound relationship. 
But in a moment, when they broke faith with him, they lost it. They were exiled from Eden. And worse still, for all of their offspring ever after, starting, starting with Cain, we live east of Eden as wanderers, as fugitives, as exiles. See, when the Israelites were, were led away into political captivity, that was but one more instance of that deeper spiritual exile, which is true for every single one of us, that you and I dwell east of Eden. Let's go back to Pentecost now. And to that geographical jungle. All of those places there. The, the Medes, the Persians, the Cretans, the Arabians, Pamphylia and Phrygia. All of these places from every nation under heaven, Luke says. What's his point? Why is he laying that all out for us? Because he's showing that here on Pentecost is the end of captivity for God's people. See, in fact... 70 years after the Israelites had been led away into captivity by the Babylonians, King Cyrus had said, you guys can, you guys can go home. You can go back to Jerusalem. Many of them, even most of them, did not, though. They had forgotten their home. And in their hearts, they continued to be exiles. But now Luke is showing us that at Pentecost, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's the end of exile. Now the Spirit is like a giant magnet gathering together all peoples from under heaven. Every nation gathered together now. That, that captivity that the people of God had experienced now has come to an end. But it's even more than that. Because if that's all it was, that wouldn't be good, enough, good news for us. You and I, we haven't been taken captive into a, another country far away. And so Peter stands up and he gives us the even greater news. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Not just the Israelites and those who have been led away captive, but now everyone, Jew, Gentile, wherever you come from, wherever you've been, every single one of us now, through the coming of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, now that exile comes to an end. The Spirit is not only a giant magnet gathering together all nations, but the Spirit is also the key. The key to that paradise lost to be regained. That key to our hearts to unlock the, the exile that is still in our hearts as we sojourn east of Eden with the Spirit coming at Pentecost. It's the end of exile, and more than that, it's the promise of home. The promise of our true home. A few years back, I got to know this gal. Call her Tina, and Tina at the time was like early twenties, and she was somebody she would say that you know if she was filling out a survey, she would you know religion none, you know she'd check that box, but she was a spiritual 
kind of person. She worked at a coffee shop. That's where I got to know her. She was barista at the coffee shop. In many ways, she was very typical of kind of your millennial generation, right? And I would have these conversations with her just about life and about faith, about spirituality and so forth. But one day she comes in and she's like, Ryan, I'm not going to see you for a while. I said, she said, well, my boyfriend and I were going on a road trip. We rented an RV and we're going. I said, where, where are you going to? She's like, I don't know where we're going to. How long are you going to be gone for? I don't know how long we're going to be gone for. And I said, well, okay, so you don't know how long you're going to be gone for. You don't even know where you're going. Aren't you going to miss home? And when I asked her that, suddenly her face fell. And she looked at me, kind of cockeyed, like, huh. And she says, with partial sarcasm, but partially deadly serious, she says, goes on to tell me that growing up she moved around all over the place and that her parents got divorced and she would be sent from one house to another house and they moved from this state to this state to this state over and over and over again and they were and all along the way she never found a place that was just their permanent place she hardly even found a house that she could live in for longer than a year or two and she said now that I'm an adult I find myself looking 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 she said I moved up to Portland where young people go to retire I moved up to, to Idaho. I moved all over the country until finally she had, had landed in California where I got to know her. She said, I've been looking, looking, looking for I don't know what. But she says, I, I, I just suddenly realized I've been looking for home. I've been looking for home. You ever have that feeling? have that restless feeling in your heart like things are not the way that they're supposed to be you ever have that sense that even when you are most at home in the world when you're in as beautiful a place like this that still it, it's like you're living east of Eden. that's all of us this side of heaven saint augustine famously said Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We're looking and longing for hope. But what Christ Jesus has done for you and me through his death and his resurrection, as he has opened paradise once again, and through the sending of the Holy Spirit, that God, who once upon a time dwelled with his people, now is able to dwell within you and me again. And he has opened the door, with his, he has opened the, the key to paradise and ended that exile. Now we get a foretaste of it, but we're looking forward to the day when it comes in full. Now by faith and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that sense of, of restlessness is able to be quelled somewhat until we look forward to the day when Christ comes again and it will be ended in full. When we'll be gathered into our heavenly home in the new creation. And when we come together today... And we receive the Lord's Supper. What is this? It's like a care package from heaven. See? It's a pledge of God's promise of paradise regained for you and me. The hope of home set on your tongue into your heart so that these restless hearts may be at peace for a little while. But I want to say this. Maybe throughout this pandemic and this, this time of quarantine, 
you have had that sense that things are not right. I know you've been getting restless because I have been too. Not all of you guys have four little kids at home, but all of us have been a little bit restless, right? Don't lose that. Don't quiet that longing. See, the temptation in this life is to try and set that aside and to satisfy it, to, to do whatever we have to do in order to put that sense of divine discontent away and just try to get as comfortable and content as we can. Don't do it. Because you were made for paradise. You with me? You were made for life in the new creation where you will dwell forever in the presence of God, where we will dwell with one another, unmasked and able to hug each other. That's what we are looking and longing for. And if in this life you still feel that sense of restlessness, that things are not the way they're supposed to be, don't quench that fire. Because it's the flame of the Holy Spirit keeping alive the hope of hope. 